And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And Stu, we're going to probably be together a little bit this weekend for the, uh, we're both going to Austin for. The Alabama-Texas game. I don't know if I'm going to actually physically see you there because I think we're both going to be on different different schedules. But uh, a lot to get into after a busy week one. We got some really good uh, mailbag questions. But before we do that, um, we taped our show Sunday morning. We did not ha- – uh, we taped it before a really fascinating and fun game in Louisiana where Florida State – beat LSU and then the next night Clemson score was probably not not indicative of how tight the game was for them they ended up blowing out Georgia Tech but I don't know how impressive they were doing it so let's start by talking about the game in New Orleans you have been very I don't say bullish but you've been optimistic about Florida State that looked prescient I thought they looked you know much better the transfers looked good um, what did you think of LSU from, from the first time out of the gate for Brian Kelly's first game? Well, first of all, thanks for acknowledging that I picked Florida State to win the game. And you could tell, I mean, they've, after years of, of um, just not having the players, they have, they have some, real, some real players now. Um, they frankly should have won that game more easily when you get into the dramatics at the end. LSU looked like a mess and I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, you know, Brian Kelly took over a roster that's been 500 the last couple of years. Um, I think there it's a very uneven roster where you have some areas that are really strong, like the defensive line, although unfortunately their best defensive lineman is now out for the season. And then you have other areas where you're not as strong, but obviously if anybody watched the game knows their downfall was special teams. I'm not sure I've ever seen a game where so many key moments were special teams fiascos, including, of course, the blocked extra point at the end. Yeah, there was two block kicks, and there was also two muffed punts by their best offense, you know, one of their best offensive players, Malik Neighbors. Um, There was a, you know, their biggest freshman recruit had a real brain cramp um, on one of the, you know, at the end of a dead ball situation on a special teams play where he got a personal foul and, and Florida State got the ball at the 40 yard line. It was a lot of mistakes. I mean, even as you alluded to, Mason Smith's the most talented player in that program. He makes a big play and then celebrating tears his ACL. He's out for the year. Ali Gay, who's probably one of the three best players on that defense, he hits Jordan Travis, blatant targeting penalty. He's out of the game for a half. I mean, it was like the, of the three best players probably on the on the defense, Two of them were gone for most of the night. The other one, uh, B.J. O'Jolari, was still there. But, you know, it's just now they, a good term. It was it was a mess. I mean, it was a mess. You know, now, I would say the one positive was 
Yeah, I remember when Jaden Daniels picked LSU. It was a like, huh? That's a that's a surprise. Or that's a weird uh, place for him to pick because he was going to have to compete with some. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to walk in and get the job, and it wasn't even certain until kickoff that he was in fact the starting quarterback. And if they didn't have him, I don't know what they would have done because his scrambling ability, uh, his ability to extend plays because their offensive line was a mess. Um, you know, he drove them down the field 98 yards at the end. Not his fault they missed the extra point. So that that is turning out to be, a, or at least looked at early on to be a, a great pickup. Um, but he, he was one of the few highlights. And so I, I don't know. You know how these first games are. I mean – especially these Sunday night games. They, I talk about the Seaving. Think about some of those Sunday night games over the years, the Texas Notre Dame game. I certainly UCLA wouldn't have, A&M. I, yeah, I certainly wouldn't have thought after that huge comeback that Jim Moore would be fired at the end of the year. Um, and even last year's Florida State Notre Dame game was considered, remember that was the game Mackenzie Milton came in, went right down to the wire. And it was, you know, I think the takeaways were a combination of, wow, Florida State's a lot better. And Notre Dame is shaky. And then Notre Dame ended up going 11 and one and Florida state missed a bowl. So you never can fully tell from the first game. But I do. I, the one thing I'm certain of is Florida state. I mean, Jared verse who you and Max have been hyping up the transfer from Albany was, was clearly disruptive uh, blocked the extra, uh, one of the field goals. Um, you know, they're a lot better. Are they uh, 1990s Florida state? No. Uh, but I think they're going to, I, I certainly think they're going to be well above 500 by the end of the year. I don't know what to make of LSU. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was very impressed to me. The most impressive guy in the field or the pleasant surprise was Jordan Travis. I thought he, he handled pressure. He looked very comfortable. I thought he, he, you know, he really played well. Um, yeah. Verse Max and I were, have been beating this drum for a while and he backed it up. Um, I would ask you, because because I'm with you, like, look, there's a lot of really good quarterbacks now in the ACC, right? And so I, I'm i interested to see where Florida State goes from here. Um, do you have any more hesitation? I, I think we one of the things we've struggled to pin down is what is success for Brian Kelly? Because success at Notre Dame is not success at LSU. They measure it differently. You know, it's just a reality. They have less patience. Um, what I mean, do you like it's one game, right? It's a bad one game, but it's only one game. I think you and I both agree Brian Kelly's a really, really good coach. The question is, is he going to be a really good fit there? Um, you, you know, one thing that would is going to be interesting to follow a subplot here is, you know, the best offensive player, Kayshawn Butte, did, you know, there was a lot of rumblings from inside the program that he was looking at possibly transferring to Alabama um, this offseason. He decided to stay. He did not look very settled in there. How, you know, how do they bring, you know, what happens with him going forward will be an interesting subplot and maybe a plot to that season. Um, so tell me what you, after one game, again, only one game, what do you see for Brian Kelly there at Florida State? I mean, at LSU, sorry. Well, the, the main thing I found myself thinking about is first impressions. Um I, we have found over the years that there have been a lot of coaches who had a really rough first game and, and people seem to never forget about it. I'm thinking of Willie Taggart at Florida state. Uh, like it's just seemed also, like, by the way, it was one of those special national games where every, all eyes, yeah, where everybody's watching. 
I mean, think about Dan Lanning, what he's going to have to do at this point to restore faith uh, after that humiliating first game. The thing with Brian Kelly is like, he's going to be there. <laughs> I mean, they're all in on him. He's uh, they gave him a $100 million contract, 90% of which is guaranteed. So, but so but I'm, it, not, if it, I'm not, if it, let's be clear though, if it does not get going in the first three years, they're going to find a way to get rid of him. They'll, they'll eat the money. They're not going to sit there and have him go 500 three years in a row or four years in a row. And I don't think he will because look at Brian Kelly's track record. Literally everywhere he's been is been he, he, I feel like his thing in, in, you know, he's not, he's not an ex's nose guru. He's not necessarily the world's greatest recruit. He would, he, but he fixes these programs. And I mean, think about what a mess Notre Dame was for 15 years before he became the coach and became the winningest coach. Go back to Cincinnati, go back before that to, to central Michigan. So, I mean, I think he'll, he'll get them going. Will he get them going to, I mean, the, the bar is national championship. The last three coaches have won a national championship. They'll expect that from him. Uh, one thing I really became aware of though, at the end of that game, the Twitter reaction, at least, is there are a lot of people rooting against him and not just Notre Dame fans. He's a very villainous figure now in college football. And a lot of people seem to take a lot of glee. I hope not at the kicker himself, but in the way that he lost that game. So I think he's going to have a lot of people rooting against him. Um, but I do think that like he could have a really rough first year here because like we said, the roster is a mess and he's already lost his best defensive player. But he, and he's in a and and let's point out the obvious. He is in a much tougher schedule situation in the SEC West than he was at Notre Dame. Yeah, you are going to play a lot of heavyweight teams. It's definitely not. It definitely doesn't feel like like when Jimbo Fisher got to A and M and got that huge contract. Like A and M fans have been patient. They haven't. I think he went eight and four the first year, and nobody because they hadn't an won, Stu. Right? They hadn't won in in forever. This That's not going to be the case here. A couple of years ago. That's yeah. the thing. He is not, even though, even though Scott Woodward gave him a Jimbo kind of contract, even more so like, it's not going to be, he's our savior. We'll wait until he's, he gets his roster turned over. They're going to expect stuff. He might get a mulligan for this year, but they're going to expect them to be a national contender next year. And I, you know, it's too early to say whether that will happen or not, but it, 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 he's definitely going to be an interesting figure to watch. Uh, Clemson, Georgia Tech, lopsided as we expected, but a little bit of drama to come out of it. Um, you know, we've been hearing, you know, all off season, is DJ going to be better? Is DJ going to be better? Well, he was a little better. <laughs> he was a little better. He, he was a little better. Like he, he was a little better in the run game. He definitely, you know, I don't, what I took away, they they do not look that good at, at the skill position. Now, they barely no. gave Will Shipley a lot of touches. Their offensive line seems to be shaky, right? I, Georgia Tech got a lot of heat on him. It's so. almost unfair to put put it on him because he doesn't have T. Higgins and and Hunter Renfro and and all those guys Clemson used to have a receiver. They certainly don't have Travis Etienne in the backfield, so he he's kind of out on island. Uh, that being said, Clay, yeah. Kate Klubnik, the best quarterback recruit in the country this past year. Um, you guys were at Elite 11 that summer. All set the, and Quinn Ewers was at that Elite 11, and everybody said Clay, Kate Klubnik was the the guy. I keep this is going to be a hard name. name for you, isn't it? This I didn't realize that name. until I just said it. Uh, so he comes in at the end of the game. Granted, it's garbage time, but he leads them right down the field. And 
anybody watching could see he's the ball just comes out of his arm his hand differently he just he has a laser and he just looked he just looked more comfortable and so now after the game Dabo and Brandon Streeter their OC very 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 adamant that DJ still their guy so I don't I don't see that change coming in the next couple of weeks by any means when they play two cupcakes but I, it just seems inevitable at some point doesn't it I don't know. I, I look. I mean, DJ has a bigger arm than Cade. The thing, you, the word you use, which I think is the right word, is one guy looked more comfortable. The other one, it looked like DJ was at times reluctant to pull the trigger and just kind of a little bit hesitant. And I think maybe some of that goes with confidence. There was a part in that game where he made a big th- he made a big throw. He also made a really good play to Shipley. Where if yeah. that's a sack. I'm not sure the game gets the game's not going to be a blowout the way it turned out to be. And the game might have been a lot tighter. There was a few things that I think Georgia Tech, if they could have, you know, there were some puzzling things that were going on there. Um, but I think the question is when does this team kind of get its identity offensively, right? Um, you know, we know they're going to be really, really nasty in the defensive front. I mean, Trenton Simpson gets overshadowed because the defensive line is so talented, but like he makes a, a couple of wow plays that just, you know, he's even, he's like a faster version of N'Kobe Dean, um, you know, when he's just running free behind a, you know, a really ferocious defensive line. So even without Brent Venables, I mean, they're going to be still really, really formidable. Um, I, I'll be honest, and this is, you know, kind of like a little bit of the postmortem. Clemson was my fourth pick to get into the playoff. I don't feel great about that pick. I didn't feel great about it before, but um, I definitely have a little buyer's remorse on that at this point. I don't know why people thought, and look, they could win 10 games just on their defense alone, but they, their offense was in the hundreds or maybe the nineties. Who was your, your fourth team though? Well, my fourth team's already on life support, Utah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, they acquitted them. It's not like they got blown off the field. Um, so, but I don't know why people thought would have any, realistic expectation that you know you had this terrible offense last year and mm-hmm. Dabo didn't do anything to change it right he sticking with DJ he uh promoted from within at per OC when Tony Elliott left and DC and, yes but I, I'm I'm talking solely about the offense and but I'm just saying you have an unproven defense coordinator on the other side which is which is another factor of hesitation yeah and and then you've got you know he's so resistant on the transfer portal he did try a go after a couple offensive linemen, but when they committed elsewhere, that was the end of that. So it's the same exact players expecting it and and system and expecting a different result. That is of course the definition of insanity. Yeah. Um, I, I, I come back to who would you pick as your fourth, as your fourth playoff spot? You already picked a team that's already that lost to a Florida team that nobody was expecting that much of. So, I mean, you were going to, unless you're going to go off, you know, off the grid a little bit and take a wild card. Like, I mean, I can give consideration to NC state. They didn't look very good in week one. So I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have a great answer there. Uh, although I, if you notice the poll this week, there's an interesting wrinkle, Michigan, the new AP poll. Michigan, Michigan. You have two sec teams and two big 10 teams. Can you imagine if that happens? Are you, are you uh, starting to become a believer in Jim Harbaugh again? I wrote in the mailbag. I, I think that I, it's, you know, you don't want to read too much into a, a blowout of Colorado state, but you did see, 
you know, no Aiden Hutchinson, um, you know, you might expect a drop off on defense, but they've still got some studs out there. And in particular, you've got freshmen, true freshmen who are coming in and impacting immediately. I think that they'll still have a very good pass rush. And I'm very interested to see the JJ McCarthy, you know, it's his turn now in the competition, by the way, you must have flown completely under the radar. Sorry to go on a tangent. Lane Kiffin is doing the same exact thing. He started Jackson dart last week and he's going to start, uh, Luke Altmeyer this week, same exact thing. And he even came out and said, we're doing it like an NFL preseason. So um, I think some of, some of that is, you know, a little bit of concern of how well will Jackson dart take care of the ball? I think it's like, you know, interceptions get mm -hmm. you beat if he doesn't take care of the ball. Well, look, we saw that two years ago where Matt Corral had some, some big turnover games that set them behind. And I think, I think there's still a wait and see from Jackson Dart. How well can he take care of the ball? Well, I think it'll take a, it would take an just absolutely extraordinary set of circumstances for it to be Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, Michigan. So somebody else is going to going to emerge. I don't have a lot of reason to believe it'll be Clemson unless club Nick, he switches to club. Like they play wake forest in week four. You better be absolutely sure you have your best 11 on the field. Cause they're definitely Sam Hartman's back this week, which is great. That's definitely a team you can lose to if you don't have your best 11 out there. So, you know, if they switch to Klubnik fairly early and he does turn out to be the savior, then maybe they still make the playoff. But I, like you, I'm, I'm very underwhelmed by the players around the quarterback. So I think that, um, again, defense alone, you could probably win 10, but you're going to have a couple games, NC State, Wake Forest. I don't know who they're playing from the other side, but, you know, uh, at some point you're going to have to score some points. I think right, the one so thing I would, the one caveat I would put into this is the coaches are the ones who see these guys every day. We don't, we're not a practice. We're not in meetings. So we don't know how prepared guys are. So yes, I would, I would agree with you based off of, you know, what happens in the game, but you know, there is, they do have a lot of knowledge that the media and the fans don't have as it goes into this. Well, and there may be another thing going on there. Um, if you recall in 2018, now, in 2018, they made a pretty concerted effort to get Trevor Lawrence. I think I was at their week two game at A&M, a and he played, you know, he was rotating with, with Kelly Bryant. So it was they were approaching that one differently. But, you know, you remember what happened. They switched. He, he named Trevor Lawrence the starter after the fourth game, and Kelly Bryant immediately bolted to preserve his red shirt. You know, do you know who the Clemson's third-string quarterback is? Yeah, I think it's somebody who's near and dear to your heart who has a yeah. Northwestern degree. And yep. look, there would be nothing more poetic. Sorry, Cade, if I'm going to be broadsiding you what I'm about to say. There would be nothing more poetic if Hunter Johnson at the third string somehow ends up being the starting quarterback and leads them to a playoff. Yeah, well, I don't have a lot of confidence that that's going to happen after watching him oh, in stop. his limited. Is, take, your purple, take your purple hat off for a second. Uh, it's, I mean, it's not about purple hat or not. The guy, no. the guy uh, had a 75.5 passer rate. Let's I didn't know he could calculate on. that low. Anyway, that's not crap yeah, yeah, yeah. So my point is, no, my, I had a point to this, which is I don't think they can afford that to happen here. Like they need both those guys all season long. Now, I don't know the DJ would need to transfer because he's still got three years of eligibility. He can play right away next year somewhere. But it does. I I do wonder if that's a factor in it that they have to keep, they have to keep him, they have to keep this going 
past the the fourth game this time. By the way, DJ's brother is one of the biggest recruits in the country. He's a defensive line recruit. Not saying this is a factor into any of it, but um, a lot of circumstances. Should we turn our attention to this week to the big game in Austin? Yes, uh, I cannot wait to get down there. I heard it's going to be smoking hot, but it's smoking hot everywhere. So it always it, it's a it's it's going to be cooler than where I live, where it was 104 degrees here yesterday, which is unheard of. Um, just give us a little quick snapshot into this is your first uh, time traveling with the big noon gang. Um, you know, it's it's uh, like, what are you going to be doing there? To, you know, what 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 goes on behind the scenes of big noon kickoff? I don't know, Stu, because this is the first time I've traveled. <laughs> I, I know this, like I'll get in Thursday and I'll, you know, I'm going to try to see some of the coaches I know there at UT and um Friday we have meetings. I know they have a walkthrough. We have meetings and then there's some other big noon stuff that are uh, like obligations that I guess we have to do. Um, so, and then it's, I think our call time is maybe 7 a.m. Saturday, mm-hmm. which is means it's going to be an early morning and that's, and that's all good. But I'll be honest, I do not know. Cause I have, I never, like I've worked with, with the big noon show, like in 2020 when, you know, physically everybody was in Los Angeles because of the pandemic. But last year they were on the road when I wasn't and I was just doing everything from the studio. So we'll see how it goes. You know, it's like, will um, you and Urban be going to get drinks tonight before the game? Probably not. Um, no. You know, I think we'll be preparing. Yeah. So. Um, good diplomatic answer. Um, I will not be, I, I mean, I, I'm a mere sports writer now. I will uh, fly in Friday, hopefully get some torchies. And go cover the game and then go write uh, both go, go write final thoughts, uh, go watch the rest of the game. This is, this is, you know, people ask me, how do you decide where, you know, when to travel to a game? This one checks all the boxes for me, direct flight from here, uh, noon Eastern kick. So get to see Alabama in person and get to see Alabama in person without having to, to, to fly to, to Birmingham or whatever. So um, and it's a big game. Now it's a big game, not in that it's, you know, number one versus number four by any means. Like, do you expect Texas to be competitive in this game? For a little bit. I, I, I don't know how well a patched up young offensive line is going to hold up against that front from, from Alabama, just from talking to the Utah state coaches who played them last week. And there were no sacks for, for the Crimson Tide, but they got the ball out so fast. You also had a seventh-year senior, um, you know, for Utah State at quarterback, whereas Quinn Ewers is basically, this is his first real big game, first game of note, and he's going to be seeing it. I I just think that's, you know, yes, he has good skill guys. He has a, he has a terrific running back. He has a stretch-the-field receiver uh, and Xavier outside, but I don't know how well they're going to hold up. Like if they can keep it interesting into the second quarter, into the to into halftime, to me that's a win. They just, I mean, remember this was. Would you pick them to go two and nine, two and ten this year? I did not pick them to go two and ten. I picked them to go four and eight. Um, <laughs> okay, four and eight. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I will admit so that's not that optimistic. Rosy. Um, they, they, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm like everybody. I want to see Quinn Ewers against that Alabama defense. And like you said, I mean, he he's not going to be able to do much of anything if their offensive line can't block. So uh, it, it, both of those things from an Alabama perspective, 
I did watch some of the Utah State game, and it was, you know, basically the Bryce Young show. I want to see if they can run the ball. Um, there's been a lot of hype around Jameer Gibbs, but watching him a little bit in that game, you know, he's not run it up the middle 30 times kind of game guy. Like he's, you know, the way he's, they utilize him is get him on the perimeter. So will they be able to line up and run the ball on a Texas defense that wasn't very good last year, frankly? Um, that's my Alabama question. I don't have many other questions about them. Should we get to the mailbag? Before we start, let me to the mailbag. Just one quick question. If you see Steve Sarkeesian, Mm -hmm. do you think he knows you picked him to be even worse than they were last year? I don't, I can't imagine he would care. I mean, I can't imagine he would either. It's one of eight gazillion predictions columns on the internet going into a season. Um, You know, but I'm looking forward to, you know, if you see their SID, if you see their SID, do you think he would? I've been texting with their SID and he seems just happy that I'm coming. So I don't think he cares either. Um, I can't wait till he, he gives you a press box seat on the roof. (laughs) (laughs) I I really don't think he cares. And, and I want to be clear, whatever the prediction doesn't change the fact that this is one of my favorite places to go for a game. Austin's obviously a great city. Um, I was there. This is the same week of the season in 2019 that I went to the Texas LSU game and Joe Burrow kind of announced himself to the country that night with that um, in in a game that, by the way, was kind of a Texas moral victory game at the time. They almost won uh, until that ridiculous. uh, I don't remember the exact down distance and yardage, but it was a big fourth down, you know, long pass to, to Jamar Chase. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply all right mailbag time as always send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com this question is from derek a couple of questions that would be great to hear your thoughts if you have any info one would espn allow other networks to be involved in 2024 2025 that would be if the playoff actually was able to start early from an expansion format and two are on-campuses games possible in the second round, or are they forced to maintain the bowls through 2025 in this way? 
Thanks. This is from Derek, an Iowa fan who just wants to see a downfield pass to Buffalo. <laughs> a touchdown when I'm back in Kinnick this weekend. That's also a very interesting game this weekend, the Cyhawk game. Um, good questions. Both good questions. I don't have a great answer for the number one. I have yet to find out a straight answer of what the ESPN CFP arrangement is in the event they they open it early. I don't think it would be would they allow other networks. I don't necessarily think like they get to decide that. Um, but it's a question of if they want those extra games, do they and they make a competitive offer? Do they automatically get them, or is it like right of you know first right of refusal? Is it? It's uh, also a fiscal responsibility. Can they afford to have all those games? It's can a they lot afford of to have all those games? Yeah. Uh, uh, what? You know what is well, we don't I don't even necessarily know what the, the price would be. I mean, right now they're paying uh, ESPN's paying a, for a deal that was made in 2012, I believe, or 2013. It's around 600 million a year for the uh, CFP and the other New Year six games. There we have seen projections that this playoff, when it, if it goes to the open market, which it will in 2026, could get over two billion dollars a year. So um, I don't have a great answer to that. Um, I think what's going to happen is they're going to kind of work backwards. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to bid out the 2026, you know, uh, new contract. And then depending on who gets it and who's involved can they work backwards and get them to start it early Are on-campus games possible in the second round, or are they forced to maintain the bowls? They have contracts with those new year six bowls that go through 2025. So they need to, um, at the very least, uh, well, I, I think, yes, they have to because, you know, you can't just tell them, okay, now you're getting worse teams, right? You're going to have to tell them they can get the equivalent of what they're getting now. And the only way really to do that is to have them host playoff games. The question is, can you do it one way for the last two years and then another way from 2026 on? I know a lot of people like Andy Staples would like to see those first two rounds on campus. I'd frankly like to see those first two rounds on campus, but the people in charge seem pretty determined to take care of their friends at the bulls. Um, this is an interesting one from, uh, well, actually let's take this one from Patrick in Pennsylvania, Bruce and Stu. Thanks for everything that you do. Thank you, Patrick, for listening. I was at the OSU Notre Dame game and I was very impressed with my Buckeyes. Bruce, you picked Ohio State to win it all. Do you feel better, worse, or the same about your prediction? I feel the same. Um, they still won the game. I thought CJ Stroud played a pretty clean game. Remember, the Jackson Smith and Jigbo was really limited. Um, Mayan Williams stepped up. I thought their defense played pretty well. Tommy Eichenberg, last time he was in a game that felt kind of like this, he was struggling as like, you know, Joe Moorhead was scheming them all over the place. And there was a lot of stuff that got exposed on a defense where it was more buttoned up. Now, I don't think this is a great explosive Notre Dame offense. So especially with a young quarterback uh, in Tyler Buckner in his first big game. So I'm not going to read that much into them really stepping up, especially in the second half, but I feel about the same. I still feel very confident that to me, this will be the best team in college football by the end of the year. For me personally, um, I am starting to suspect that Alabama and Georgia are a step up from Ohio state, but Again, don't overreact to one game, long season ahead. It was definitely encouraging to see the way the defense performed given some of their struggles in big games last season. 
I think there's the potential, by the way, to overreact. I know they were just the national champs, but the way uh, Oregon might be, I think there was a potential for for a big overreaction on the Georgia side. Possibly. Yeah, I know. I mean, possibly, but I think the way their schedule sets up, if there's some sort of weakness in Georgia and I didn't see one, it's not going to be exposed for a while. Ask me the week zero question. Tell me who asked is it? Brian uh, Black. Got it. Okay. All right, Stu, this question from Brian Black in Atlanta. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Do you think we will see more week zero conference games due to the new TV contracts for both the Big Ten and the SEC, especially if the SEC goes to nine conference games? For the past two years, the Big Ten has owned the week zero and Thursday night kickoff window with conference games featuring marquee brands, Nebraska, Ohio State, and Penn State. Will the SEC try to claim that spotlight for themselves moving forward rather than allowing their competitor to get all the attention? That's a good question from Brian. That's a good question. I do. I would say yes. I do expect that. Now, right now, it, <laughs> the NCAA rules on who can play in a week zero game are a little uh, ambiguous, and, that, and that's not the right word. They seem very flexible. It's supposed to be by strict letter of the law. Um, teams, basically teams that play at Hawaii. So they, they can actually play a 13th game if they want. And so that's why you see, that's why you saw, for instance, Duquesne playing in a week zero game because they are playing at Hawaii this year. Um, or those, you know, games abroad, like the Northwestern Nebraska game. However, we have seen exceptions to that. There was a Florida Miami game a few years ago that ESPN got them to move up because of, uh, to kick off the celebration of the 150th anniversary um, Nebraska, Illinois last year, even though the game was no longer in Ireland, they still got to play it in week zero. So, and it just seems like NCA rules now are just completely fungible. <laughs> you know, we're seeing all kinds of things just get overturned on, on a moment's notice. So yes, I expect those conferences to push to like deregulate that and move more of their, uh, move at least a couple of their games to week zero. I mean, if you look at the big 10 deal, they just made, it's frankly kind of hard to see. Like, how is NBC going to get that many games in? How is CBS going to get that many games in? Well, one way would be to have them open on week zero. So this question came in after their Hawaii game. After watching Vanderbilt, what outcome is more likely, zero SEC wins or two? Mm, One is not an option, apparently. I know. I'm going to say more likely, zero SEC wins. I know Mike Wright has looked really good um, and made a bunch of big plays. I just look at their schedule and just think, you know, to see where they're going to get two wins out of that. I'm a little hesitant as you go through, um, you know, because they get from the other side at Alabama. That's not definitely going to be a win. And then they have home Ole Miss. I don't think that's a win. So now where are we looking for two? You know, Missouri's on the road. That's not going to be easy. Kentucky's on the road. South Carolina's at home. Look how good uh, Anthony Richardson was this past weekend, unless he's not healthy by the end of the season, then, you know, and then Tennessee, I don't know. I just don't, it's one thing to say they're going to win one, maybe knock off Missouri and Columbia, or maybe knock off South Carolina at home. Um, I don't, I'm not giving them two wins. No, I can't see it either. When Vandy was going to bowl games, one of the wins they would get often is Tennessee because Tennessee was a mess. Tennessee does not seem like a mess anymore. They actually seem quite good. So can't see them winning that one. Um, maybe they could get a, get a Missouri or a South Carolina, uh, but probably not both. So unfortunately, I'm inclined to agree with you that zero is more likely. 
That being said, I would if you told me what are the chances they win one SEC game, um, I might put that at like 30% at this point. Are you picking them? This isn't part of Anthony's question, but are you picking them to beat Wake Forest with Sam Hartman back available? No, not with Sam Hartman back. No, I think. Uh... Well, you oh, know what? Mitch, That'll be an interest. Mitch, That'll be interesting to see. Looked, Mitch Griffiths looked very good. I know. I know from talking to Dave Clawson, he sees a lot of John Wolford in Mitch Griffiths, so um, they have a good option there. That'll be an interesting thing because no, I don't expect Vanderbilt to win. But will they be? Will that be a competitive game into the fourth quarter? If it is, that's uh, that will tell you that Vandy has definitely improved because that the last couple of years they played a team of Wake Forest caliber, they would lose fifty to nothing. I think Vandy has definitely improved because the the one of those two games they would have they would have stubbed their toe the way they've looked the last couple of years, including last year. All right, last but not least, Dave G in Chicagoland. I've noticed throughout the last year or so that there are two narratives that seem to be prevalent among college football media surrounding transfers. I often hear about how Lane Kiffin and to a lesser extent Lincoln Riley are, quote, retooling their rosters and, quote, adding talent out of the portal. Whatever Mel Tucker is being talked about and the transfers he's bringing in, it's talked about as being, quote, unsustainable and questions of team chemistry issues are always mentioned. Full disclosure, I am an MSU fan, so I take my scrutiny with a grain of salt. Can I offer out a quick theory here? Mm-hmm. I think that times are changing very quickly in real time. I think the notion of that he's saying, if he heard that about unsustainable and whatnot, probably was more the case two years ago, the year they brought in uh, Kenneth Walker and those guys. But after seeing how radically Lincoln Riley blew up his roster and the way Lane Kiffin's using it and the way, um, Frankly, Brian Kelly has used it. I just, you're not, I don't, I would be surprised if people are still saying that about Mel Tucker's program. It's only a year though. They brought in Kenneth Walker last year. Yeah. I'm saying that's how quickly this off season, the narrative around transfer portal changed pretty dramatically because like when Mel Tucker brought in Kenneth Walker, that was not that other people weren't using the portal, but that seemed like they seemed kind of more, um, more all in on it than, than most. Whereas I think that everybody's all in now, except for Clemson. Can I give you a better uh, rationale to it? Sure. The reason why is because Mel Tucker has only been a head coach for three years and two of them were losing seasons. One, he went three and six at Colorado, which honestly by Colorado standards wasn't bad. It was his first year. And his first year at Michigan State, which by the way, happened in a pandemic when he jumped in, when he got the job pretty late in the process, they went two and five. I think it had more to do with People, Mel Tucker was a, for a lot of people, was a, was a too much of an unknown for them to have, whereas Lincoln Riley had done it for a while. And so I think, you know, we had seen, he had multiple guys make run at Heisman trophies as transfers, whether he's the head coach or not. Um, You know, he was, you know, coaching them. I think in this case, I feel, and I would say this right now, you know, given, you know, what we saw, Jalen Berger looked really good. um, Obviously. You know, they had a bunch of guys on the defense side look really good. I think this speaks to maybe Mel Tucker's eye for talent and his ability to to rally, a, you know, rally a locker room. You know, I think anybody who spent some time around Mel Tucker kind of probably, you know, had a, you know, I'll be honest. Like I, I changed my, I formed an opinion of him from a couple of days around him at CU when we did one of his games and got to be inside the program. And from that point on, I was like, all right, this guy is really authentic and I can see how he can rally a team. And I think 
for a lot of folks, you're, you're really just, they were just looking at, he had had three years and two, you know, his first two were not winning seasons. Now, I think they, they took that and I also think they jumped on the, how much money he was getting paid, you know, coming in the, the wake of that. And so I think there was a couple of factors that were kind of going down the road at the same time. That's just my theory. I would also add that the locker room thing, the chemistry thing is not a, it's an absolutely valid concern. I mean, I don't know if it's being applied selectively or not, but um, you know, I was at Ole Miss this spring and Lane Kiffin flat out admitted that this is a little bit risky what they were doing, um, that they have so many guys that are new to the program from one year to the next. But he also said he doesn't expect it to be an annual strategy. They lost Matt Corral. They lost so many guys at key positions that they felt like they needed to fill immediately. Good example of this, by the way, Georgia has not shied away from the transfer portal in the past. Their starting cornerback on the national championship team was from Clemson. Uh, they brought in Eric Gilbert last year, although he didn't end up playing. This year, they have zero. <laughs> I think Kirby Smart looked at his roster and said, I'm good. So it's it's. I, I think if somebody was bringing in uh, 20 transfers a year every year, I too would say that doesn't seem sustainable. Um but I don't think like I don't think Lincoln Riley is going to do that again. He just wanted to he took over a four and eight team and he felt like he needed to uh, drastically upgrade it, which he which he did. So that doesn't mean he's going to keep doing that every year. OK, so again, we, our schedule uh, this season will be a show on Sundays uh, talking about all the action from the day before and a show on Wednesday, much like the format of the one you just listened to. So send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. Maybe wait till after this weekend though, watch the games, ask us your questions then, unless it's something that is not tied to the weekend and we'll see you next time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events. We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.